building data products over analytical data at any scale. Jorge, nice to meet you. Help us understand that statement and and give us a bit of an intro into who Tiny Bird are and what you're doing. Thank you, Elliot, for having me. And um, yeah, of course. Um, so if you think about how um, data products are built today, when you're talking about, uh, especially when you talk about large amounts of data, you normally will have some component that is capturing the data, and then you have you will have some component that is um, uh, running some type of ETL and pipelines that will transform that data and leave it somewhere. That will be like a data warehouse. And then if you want to build something on top of that, as in an application that can scale and it can, you can hit it with a many uh, number of requests and uh, per second and things like that, then you'll still have to run some other process, put it somewhere else that it's designed to scale, and then you will have to build some APIs, and then you'll, you know, it's a whole thing. And people throw cathedrals of infrastructure at this problem. And um, what Tinybird helps you do is it gives you the platform and the tools to ingest data at any scale, transform that data using, uh, transform and query that data using SQL and expose the result of those transformations or those queries as API endpoints um, that are low latency and that are made to scale in a serverless way, such that you don't have to worry about how many servers you have to provision, how much memory you have to uh, choose for each server, et cetera, et cetera, and just focus on building. So we simplify uh, development over data for developers at, at any scale. Nice. Uh, aside from what seems like quite a seamless process or piece of software that you've built for seemingly a convoluted process, what what value on top of what you've described do you think that you'll start creating for some of your customers? That's a great question. We sometimes talk about real time um, as one of the values that we bring to uh, customers. And, and a lot of uh, prospects say, like real time is kind of a trigger word. Some people will hear it and say, we don't need real time for this. And um, and actually, what we find is when you reduce by several orders of magnitude the amount it takes, the amount of time it takes to react to what's going on with your business, the way you operate your business can change completely. And you are suddenly um, have a lot of opportunities that you didn't have before. You can react to opportunities and problems much faster. And also, and this is very key to developers, if you're building things over data, you will have to iterate and you'll have to run queries. If every query that you run takes 300 milliseconds or 100 milliseconds instead of 30 seconds, your development speed and your experience about developing and your speed to market, it's going to go through the roof. And, uh, and that's the things that we see with our customers. Some of them start with one use case and say, actually, this makes a lot of sense. I'm going to try it with this particular use case. For instance, I'm going to build chart, charts for my users or for the users of my product so that they can see how they're taking advantage of my product. And because they can do that so quickly and with so little, with few moving pieces, um, suddenly they start thinking, wow, like this is amazing how fast that I, I can develop this, how quick the queries are, um, what else can I do with this? And then you start thinking in a different way. You start thinking more in 
hey, if I can do these things in real time, why would I do them in any other way? And speed is such a competitive advantage. Um, it, you know, it, it becomes a, a different way of, of, uh, of thinking and approaching business problems in general. T- typically, without Tinybird, what, what does the current landscape look like for, for teams, if you like, capturing their data real-time or not? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good question. What the landscape looks like today is um, it really depends on the on the stage of the companies. But yeah. let's say a yeah. sort of a, a sophisticated company, um, they'll have a data team um, of uh, some kind, with some data engineers, and probably a head of data or a VP of data, something like that. And they'll have some means to capture the data, maybe something like Kafka or Kinesis. Um, and then they'll have a data warehouse, maybe something like Snowflake or um, uh, BigQuery, something like that, which becomes sort of the source of analytical truth. And that's absolutely fine. And that's not something we intend to replace. The problem is that that data first is uh, tends to be a bit locked in within the data teams. And then data engineers become the gatekeepers for engineers or developers to build things on top. And so there's this handoffs situation that takes place where engineers need to be sort of twiddling their, their thumbs until, you know, um, there is some pipeline or some process that is leaving the data somewhere so that they can take advantage of it in their applications. And the problem with that is, um, first, uh, you're... Um, you're basically limiting what an engineer can do. Engineers are, and developers in general, are should be capable of working with data at large scale. I mean, at the, at the scale that data grows, uh, at the speed that data grows, I mean, you have to enable developers to work with much more data much faster. And that's a key thing for us. Um, and then the other thing is, the more steps you put in the middle, even if it's bringing you control, it's making your ability to react to what's going on much slower, you know, because, you know, there's a lot of things happening in the middle and, and it tends to go sort of in batches every hour or every 30 minutes or whatever. And, uh, you know, that basically is robbing you of the opportunity to automate your insights and, and react to problems, generate alerts, build um, data products that give you uh, real-time insights and, and so on. So so that that's um, why. You know, we work with some data teams that are sort of um, choosing the right tools for the right jobs, and they still use Snowflake or BigQuery, but first they capture the data with Tinybird and build APIs for those real-time use cases, and then send on the data to uh, a Snowflake or a BigQuery, and they do big science or BI type of uh, uh, use cases with, with, with that, which is, of course, uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, but without missing the capacity to uh, work over huge amounts of data, you know, really quickly by developers that don't necessarily need to be data experts, you know, just knowing SQL and and uh, and how to use APIs, you can you can be very powerful with Tinybird. If it feels like there's there's a heavy onus on a, a number of people and technology processes or mechanics in place yeah. right now and from what i've understood from you tiny bird 
feels like it's quite a good solution for some of that. Yeah. Or a lot of it. Especially especially for building. Whatever, you know, if you want to exploit your data uh, and you want to do it easily and you have, want to have speed to market, like really build something. I mean, we some of our um, customers, they had already built a solution for what they have now built with Tiny Bird. But it was, you know, with Athena and it was running on batches and then sending the data to DynamoDB. And then they had this other service. And then every time they needed to make a change, you have to go through each of those steps. Fix if you want to enrich the data, you want to bring another pipe and you've got to make changes to that schema, you know. So that every change becomes a huge headache that involves reams of people and teams Whereas with Tiny Bird, essentially you're getting the data right away. You can query it right away. You can build pipes and you can evolve those pipes with the tools and, and the platform that we provide. And building uh, APIs is as simple as um, writing a SQL query, saying that you want that to be an API endpoint, and bam, you have an API endpoint that you can start integrating in your product. Love it. Uh, are, these, are these problems that you and other co-founders saw just in day-to-day engineering conversations, challenges, and working with other teams. Is this was this essentially the the genesis of Tiny Bird, where you saw an opportunity with how fragmented some of these processes were, and and what was the evolution like of that idea, and then creating a mission? Yeah, that's exactly. That's exactly how it happened. We um, we're a strange company in, in the sense that we're <laughs> we're uh, we're five uh, founders, which is a an atypical uh, number of founders. And um, uh, we we started the company for two reasons. One is because we wanted to work together again. We used to work together at a company called uh, Carto, um, and then the the other reason is because we. We're all seeing, we, we had left Carto sort of at different moments in time. And in Carto and outside of Carto, what we were seeing is first, data was growing at a, at a crazy rate. Yeah. Like our customers would come with an order of magnitude more data every year. Um, also, um, in, in outside of Carto, we could see that every time that um, uh, someone wanted to build something on top of data at large scale that require either um, very low latency or enriching data or, you know, speak to market and ability to evolve, you know, that was like always a huge uh, project. Um, very funnily, like in Carto, when I, when I was, uh, the moment I left, we were hiring our first data engineer and Carto was a data company. But until that moment, there weren't any date dedicated data engineers, all developers would do their okay. own data engineering work because everyone knew enough about data to do it. It's just yeah. that data was getting so huge that you know running queries would take forever. You would have to wait to see if they were successful or not. If there was an error, you'd have to run it again. So developers started asking, hey, can we hire data engineers so that they can focus on this so I can do my yeah. job, which is solving the business problem? And and that didn't like that was a horrible state of affairs from our point of view. Like we all were engineers and developers and, and product people, and yeah. we wanted to continue working like we had always worked, which is hey, you have data, you run some SQL queries, you expose some APIs, and you build something. 
this shouldn't change because the amount of data keeps growing. You should be yeah, able yeah, to yeah. do that over time. So that's a, that's the problem we set out to solve, which okay. is to enable developers to build data products with at any scale with the skills they already have. Where do you think Tiny Bird can be in in a couple of years? Like, what what's the mission for you and four other founders? Yeah. So, um, look, we believe this, this is a huge opportunity uh, and we are very ambitious uh, and uh, in, in trying to be the go-to uh, solution for any developer that wants to build things with, with analytical data. Um, and we are, we've um, transferred our headquarters to the U.S., and nice. I'm personally moving to New York. I'm in the middle of the, of the move right now, so I'll, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm uh, you know, uh, very close to it. Uh, we already have our um, uh, chief revenue officer in the U.S. We started hiring there, so we're very aggressively moving into the U.S. Um, the and in two years, um, we hope to basically be the winning uh, company for the real time uh, category because. Um, we there's always going to be um, companies that want to have full control of every single parameter of their database and exactly yeah. what machine you use. And, and that's fine. That's not who we're going after. We're going after everyone that just wants their products to be fast and scalable and, and, and uh, people that want to iterate fast and build fast. So which we think it's it's changing really quickly and serverless is something that is going to be uh dominating uh, uh you know in, yeah, in the future yeah yeah i bet well we've spoken about other teams uh, challenges with uh, their data environments it'd be really good to touch on where tiny birds engineering challenges are yeah. and obviously uh, seemingly, you offer tremendous value to your customers with these challenges. It would be good to understand your own yeah. and what gets tricky to build what you're building. Yeah. So, from a, um, like any startup, we have uh, uh, massive problems uh, left, right, and center. <laughs> uh, I would like, I would as honest to tell as they you, come, I would love to tell you like everything <laughs> is hanky dory and there's no problems. But um, uh, but no, we we we've realized from early on that um, uh, you know initially when we started, um, we saw our offering as a nice sidekick to whatever our customers were already doing, and we yeah. become very 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 central to many of our customers, like business critical. As in, if we fall down, our customers are down. Uh, type yeah. of um, you know we become their analytical backend for for yeah. their data products. So one of our key obsession is stability, uh, performance, and uh, observability. As in, yeah. you know, we um, you have to be able to know that everything is absolutely working at the speed that you're not losing uh, performance, that you're not losing data, and you know we've invested a lot of. Um, uh, resources in ensuring that all of that data is available to our customers in real time, so yeah, they nice. can they can monitor everything that's happening with their account uh, with Tiny Bird, of course. And then, if you want, you can integrate with Datadog, or you can integrate with other tools. Um, nice. We we also, um, uh, but but the reality is 
when you build a platform like ours, which is not a vertical, you know, we're not helping people uh, create invoices or it's not a ticketing yeah. system. You know, it's a platform where you can throw data at us and you can then build APIs that will scale to thousands of requests per second. And people yeah. do the craziest things, you know. Uh, so a big yeah. challenge, um, a big engineering challenge that we have accepted that is always going to be with us as we grow, that we're, it's never going to be fully solved, is ensuring that our customers can scale flexibly and predictably without uh, us having to intervene. And, you know, hey, like uh, we need to add three more servers here and so on, it, you know, such that it happens elastically. And that's a huge challenge when you're talking about, you know, if you're talking about scaling elastically um, some of your front-end servers, that's pretty easy to do. But if you are talking about, you know, if you have data that is replicated uh, in different servers and you want to spin new a new cluster or, or more servers within your database servers within your cluster, then if you have one petabyte of data that you need to move around, that's not going to yeah. happen instantly. So yeah. there are there are challenges there in finding what's the right level of elasticity versus the right level of cushion that we need to leave for our customers in terms of ensuring that a peak is not going to bring them down, but enough that we're not, uh, you know, not you know that we make uh, a great gross margin out of uh, our operation. So. Finding that that balance of uh, of uh, with our serverless approach of elasticity and stability is is a big challenge, and uh, we're getting better and better every day. And some of our customers, basically, you know, um, uh, for instance, Vercel is is one of our favorite customers. And uh, the I was going to say any examples. Yeah, our head, the, their head of infrastructure um, was telling us is like, guys, like you. Uh, one of, if not the most stable part of our infrastructure. And they use like all of the uh, providers you can think about, you know. So um, so we we put a lot of effort in that and that's always a, a huge challenge. The, the other um, uh, big challenge is more of an experience, user experience type of challenge. If you I think, think it's set up. Yeah, if you think about it, um, you know, if you want to, one of the key challenges of, of having a, a great, development experiences, um, evolving your data schemas, evolving your API endpoints, and, and doing it in such a way that you know that what you're doing is correct, that you're not losing performance, that you're not yeah. uh, breaking anything. Um, so um, we're investing a lot in making that experience really great. And yeah. if you think about it, it's not easy. If you have like, um, you, we have customers that ingest um, uh, close to, uh, uh, you know, over a million records per minute. That's wow. your records coming in. Wow. If you need to make a schema change, it's pretty scary, you know, uh, for any developer. Like, how do yeah. I know that I'm not going to break what's going on and so on? So we yeah. want making that seamless and making that in such a way that developers feel, hey, if I make a mistake, it's okay because I'm, I will know and it won't break what's live. So yeah. all of that, that's another huge um, challenge that, that we're investing a lot. I feel for software as a service businesses, API-first businesses, developer experience has become absolutely critical for, for a business success. You touched on your first point, you know, back-end and infrastructure needs to be on point because 
the sheer volume of of data coming into your platform is just outrageous but i think the front end customization experience part even on the podcast i'm talking to organizations and teams and and they put a huge emphasis on this yeah and it's so valuable for companies using their business yeah. using their product absolutely and look we we're all about speed to market and and uh, and so on yeah. it it has to be that's part of the experience as well like uh uh, literally, with Thunderbird creating an API endpoint over a stream of data, it yeah. take you seconds or minutes, yeah. you know, really, really fast. Um, the question is, once it's in production and and you have not one endpoint but twenty endpoints, and you have you know fifty data sources, and you have twenty uh, people working on on uh, involving that project, making that work, and that everybody knows what's going on, and that you can they can work. Like they build any other software project, that's another key uh, uh, challenge for us. Talk to us a little bit about um, what it's like to be co-founder of a business, raising a really solid Series A, especially in these times. You know, we're June 2022, and you know it seems as if you've just got over the line before <laughs> everything's happened around us. Yeah. Well, what's that feeling like? And help explain to some of the people listening what what it is like to be a tech founder and what you actually have to focus on and investor conversations and all of these things that don't really get spoken about. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, look, uh, the 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 great thing about as having raised just before, you know, like if people would race <laughs> in the old times uh, or before this uh, market uh, tumble and so on, is that now we have money in the bank and we can plan ahead and we can think, yeah. hey, what if there's a nuclear winter now? And, you know, we're going to be, I mean, I'm, I'm talking figuratively, I'm, I'm really not hoping for an actual nuclear winter, but um, but, you know, but but you know what I mean, like you know, what if suddenly like budget slows down? It's really difficult to uh, sell, and uh, you know we have enough money that we can live through it and survive, and uh, and we're building our plan to balance going fast and continue to do what we want to do, but ensuring that if things if push comes to shove, we can slow down and and uh, and 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 invest in the product and pick this up in, uh, when it's recovering and so on. Um, that's, that's sort of a great, sort of a good aspect of it. Um, the hardest aspects of it and, and the things that keep me awake, awake at night are that suddenly you have to deliver. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's it, you know, no longer, hey, we're five founders, you know, doing a thing that, yeah. you know, it's uh, exciting and so on. Now, you have investors that want to, um, of course, uh, see this working and see a return. We're super fortunate with with our investors. I mean, they've been incredibly helpful. Um, but uh, you know, um, investor conversations and things like that. Just yesterday, uh, one of our investors was sharing on WhatsApp uh, some competitors. Uh, he had heard about what our competitors' revenue was, and you know, and those kinds of things. Well, you know, they they 
generate pressure and you have to think about, okay, what does that mean? And, and, and that's just an example, but we'll discuss things about, hey, look at what these guys are doing. And, uh, you know, do we, can we learn something from it or look at, you know, what these guys did or, hey, why don't you talk to this founder or this other founder who are having similar problems and so on. So okay. that, that's sort of a constant um, part of the job. Uh, what's, what's, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it, it's really exciting and it's great to have people that are really good at their jobs and investing and that have seen a lot of things and, and that they'll, they'll help you. But at the same time, you have to sort of balance, Hey, I hear all of what you're saying, but here's my focus and here's what we're trying to achieve and, and so on. I was just about to say, because you can get noise daily. You can get WhatsApp messages daily, right? Yeah. Of this is what your competitors are doing or someone in a different space is approaching software as a service like this or why don't we try this? Yeah. That that can actually damage your mental health, your energy towards your business and what you need to focus on, Yeah. right? Yeah. I can uh, imagine that's hard. Yeah, look, um, I... When... when um, when people say startups are hard, actually, uh, to me, it's the the actual work is not the hard part. I like the actual work, you know, I enjoy yeah. most of it, not all of it, but most of it I, I enjoy doing. Um, the The hard part about startups is that you can't rest because you're so involved in in the problems and you're so involved in, there's always problems to fix. There's always the next thing. There's always something you owe someone uh, or something that needs to happen or some uh, opportunity that you're hoping to close. Or There's always something that's keeping yeah. you mentally active. And it's very, very hard to just go to bed at night and say, I'll think about this tomorrow. You know, you, yeah. you're, uh, you know I'll, I'll wake up sometimes in the middle of the night because I have this worry about this thing and, and, uh, and so on. So that's, that to me is the hardest part about startups. It, is not the actual work. Like you do the work and yeah. you you find the way. Is that yeah. it's very difficult to rest and disconnect, and that requires yeah. a lot of discipline. And and I'm I I have my moments. Like I sometimes I'm just working out every day, which helps me a lot to be sort of relaxed and sort of nice. good energy. And doing a little bit of meditation or journaling helps me a lot because sort of centers my my yeah. head, you know, just a moment to just relax and be quiet and not have Slack and, and email and stuff open and it sort of helps me center my head. But then sometimes you're so busy that you tend to think you don't need that. You just need to do the next thing. And that's like sort of a negative spiral. And then two weeks later, you realize like, oh, I got destroyed and now I need to go back and start again and get to my good habits and so on. So it's a, it's a process and and uh and um but so you 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 really need to enjoy building something from scratch and you have to have this attitude about hey we'll find a way and yeah, yeah. uh you know sometimes founders we complain like why isn't this person like this or more like us why is he not doing like well if everybody was as proactive or as everybody was as uh, you know, then they'll be they'll would all be starting companies. Bags. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so you have to find the balance between giving people a great place to work that it's intense and that you know you work hard and you do what you need to do, but at the same time that 
you know, there's a space for everybody to be as they are and who they are and, uh, and, and, and uh, contribute in the way that they're more um, productive and, and helpful. Do, do you have a handful of things that you're constantly looking at in your business as in whether it's numbers, acquisition of users, yeah. you can focus on revenue. There's loads of different signals that I can imagine. I don't run a you know, a tech-founded business, but are, are there a few things that you're focusing on that maybe even investors have said, these are the three things or five things that we should really focus on. The rest is just noise and just channel it out. Yeah. I mean, if, if you... if um if the investors have to tell you which ones those are, you're probably, are you in trouble? You're in trouble. Uh, <laughs> although sometimes they have really, really good uh, observations and so on. But for us, um, we were actually in the process of changing that a little bit because, I mean, bear in mind, we didn't have any sales on marketing until very recently. Everything was sort of uh, founder-driven uh, sales and so on. And, yep. uh, and and we don't come from sales. We come from products and technology. So, and, uh, so we did uh, pretty good considering. But... Um, we were focused on expansion more than anything else. We wanted to prove that, hey, th- you know, this is valuable. People are willing to pay yeah. for it. This is sticky. Like, you know, once people are using it, they'll keep on using it. And, yeah. and then these accounts will expand. They'll use it for more than one use case. Those okay. were the key things because we felt if that's true, then the next problem is how do we repeat that? You know, so how do we make this machine work? So that was yeah. the first thing we focused on. And so for that, we figured out those three ways that our business would grow, which was um, first, data, more data. Like if our customers are growing just by the fact that they're growing, they'll have You're more data. So we will grow with them. Even if they do, don't do anything new, we should be growing with them. That's one thing. So tracking how much data they are putting into the system is already an indicator. Yeah. Or a leading indicator to expansion and so on. The other thing is um, more use cases. Like they're used, they're do, using now uh, the system to do more things. And and for us, the key um, thing to track there is workspaces. Like within Tinybird, you can have um, several as many workspaces as you want. And a workspace yeah. is, is you could think of it as um, an area where you create more data sources, more pipes, more API endpoints. You can share data between workspaces. So if you have an ingestion set up to track events from the website, maybe you want to have a project that is a funnel analysis and you want to have another one that is for BI and another one that is with the same data. So you can do that easily in in Tinybird. So if if they're having more workspaces, it means they're using it for more things. So that's another critical metric for us. And the last nice. one is number of developers on board. Okay. Like how right. many developers, because there's more developers, there's bound to be either more data or more workspaces. So those Got are you. the three ways that our sort of our accounts expanded. But now since that's clearly working and we're more focused on the go-to-market, we're starting to see, uh, you know, and we opened up accounts like service accounts uh, recently. So now we're starting to look at signups and we're starting to look at, you know, once people sign up, do they get to create an API endpoint, which is like when they understand what Tinybird is for, okay. you know, so yep. we're looking at those types of metrics now much more closely. Are you looking at the speed of that setup as well? Exactly. As in how quick it is to set up an account, 
how quick it actually is to set up an API? And are you yeah. looking at some of those metrics? Not to, I mean, because it's really, really fast in terms of the, the I mean, we, we look at sort of the, the overall speed from beginning to end, but yeah. the, but we're not so, we're more focused on where people are dropping than yeah. uh, whether it takes a long time, because we know it doesn't take a long time, you know. Um, it's more about, hey, they're confused about something or, or they can't, or we don't have a connector to some data source that they're using and that's why they go away. So we're trying right. to figure out where people drop off and why. And it, it's, always, it's never easy because sometimes people are just curious and they just sign up and just click around and, and you can sort of get bogged down with what is this person doing, you know, but maybe they're <laughs> just clicking around and just looking around. And then some other people are very, uh, very, um, intentional and they come yeah. in because they've seen something and they want to validate could I do this with Tiny Bird and then that's nice. the ones that, that we're really interested in in understanding you know what what's the sort of a, the journey there great and and lastly what was the decision behind moving HQ to New York yes uh, that's a great question um, this is a global opportunity uh, yeah. the, the US it, it is, seems to yeah, the U.S. is in, is the end market for this. This is the biggest market. is the most sophisticated one. Um, yeah. If we are to succeed there, you know, we need to be an American company, not just a bunch of guys in in somewhere in Europe. You know, which uh, is totally fine. But um, you know, uh, based on previous experience from previous companies, it helps a lot if you're physically there. If you're uh, all of your go-to-market team or a large part of your go-to-market team is American. You have American marketing, you have American uh, sales reps and customer success and so on. Um, so we basically, that is the sort of the number one reason is we want to conquer that market. We chose New York because for pragmatic reasons, really. Like, I'm going to have to be coming back and forth. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, uh, a lot of our engineering team is in Spain. I Madrid actually doesn't have that many direct flights to to the U.S. Um, and New York is one of those places. We wanted to make it easy to go back and forth. New York's yeah. a great place. It's like I mean, you walk around Manhattan and you look at all those buildings and you feel like there's like twenty potential customers in each of these buildings. <laughs> and uh, let's get knocking. Exactly. <laughs> and. Uh, and then there is a, there's a great data ecosystem in New York as well. Good. So it just felt like the right place for us. Um, the, yeah. the time difference is like minimum time difference with with where the rest of the team. So it just just felt like the right Smart. place for us. Yeah. And you you hit a good note as in I've heard this phrase. It's hard to be a European company breaking into America. It's easy to uh, I can't remember the exact phraseology, but mold yourself as an American company going into the American market, a little bit like what you've done with seemingly a new team in sales, marketing, even engineering in America. Yeah. So good luck. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see how, uh, let's see how it works. And I'm, I'm uh, very, um, I, I've been going back and forth this year and uh, I'm good. looking forward to, to be there uh, on a permanent basis. Almost there. Almost there. I want to say first and foremost, good luck. Thank you. Thanks for the refreshingly honest um, piece around Tiny Bird, anyway, um, but refreshingly honest piece around 
what it's like to be a founder in current market and some of the challenges that you have on a day to day. Of course, um, it's great to see. You know, different from what you see on Twitter at yeah, times, yeah. but <laughs> it's honest, and I love it. Um, and thirdly, good luck. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, it's been good great. Luck. Pleasure. And for everyone listening, like, share, have a nosy, go and sign up, try and build something, share with your friends, your engineering team. This could be a solution to problems that you're having in the team. So go and share this with some of your favorite people in tech. And Jorge, lovely to meet you. Yeah. And by the way, like just my i'm on twitter and uh on linkedin and uh we have Got a slack like community so absolutely come if you come and test and have questions reach out to us we're super interested to hear what you're trying to build and and to learn from from everyone that comes to tiny bird thanks a lot thank you hey guys thanks for watching this episode uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us if you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.